Hello, and welcome to the Warden FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Kian Asani, and today I'm joined by Robert Krugman, Chief Digital Officer at Broadridge. Broadridge helps drive business transformation for their clients with solutions for enriching client engagement, navigating risk, optimizing efficiency, and generating revenue growth. Broadridge handles millions of trades a day involving trillions of dollars, support communications that reach 75% of North American households, and manage shareholder voting in over 90 countries. Robert joined Broadridge in 2010 with the mandate of innovating new solutions to help clients get the most out of emerging digital technologies and customer communications. Before we start, we would like to thank the team at Money 2020 USA for hosting Warden FinTech in Las Vegas during their annual conference to meet with and interview thought leaders in the FinTech industry. Money 2020 is the premier global event on payments, FinTech, and financial services, where C-level executives, renowned speakers, innovators, and disruptors from across the world unite to drive change in the future of money. We would also like to thank Warden FinTech's platinum sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation and Finance at Warden. The Stevens Center is the premier research education and thought leadership institution for financial technology. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on the Warden FinTech podcast today. Thanks a lot for having me. Looking forward to it. So we'd love to hear more about your background prior to joining Broadridge. Tell us about what you, about what you were doing and then what sparked your interest in joining. Definitely, definitely. So um, I, uh, I'm the chief digital officer at Broadridge, and I've been with the company for about nine years. Prior to this, I've done a kind of a combination of startups as well as uh, consulting. Started my career as a computer science graduate, so actually started as a heads-down coder. Quickly evolved and moved more towards strategy and thinking about how do we leverage technology to solve for problems. And so in the mid to late 90s, right at the beginning of the internet, I worked with some folks that I had known and worked with in the past we had a small digital team that was looking at taking financial services companies online. This is 97, so this is the beginning of online. And what was, I think, unique about us is that it wasn't just putting up some brochureware or marketingware. It was actually, how do you solve for transactional problems that these companies are having? And so we worked with a lot of big banks and a lot of big broker-dealers around putting things out there. We got purchased by a company that eventually became Razorfish. So I spent about 10 years in that world of kind of the digital agency world, helping organizations to leverage digital capabilities to solve for problems, creative UX technology problems all together. After that, um, I, uh, I joined a, a colleague who had become the CTO of a company called Edgar Online, and I became the head of product for them. And we kind of changed the forward momentum of the organization to focus on some new strategies, some new regulations that were coming into effect, and that facilitated a, a sale of that company to R. O'Donnelly. Okay. And then I joined a company called TheMarkets.com, where I was responsible for data products, and that company eventually sold to S&P. So, and then from there, I joined Broadridge, who I had known for quite a while, right. and came in with the, really with the hat of helping to take a legacy communications business and make it more digital. So I think most of our listeners might not know how they interact with Broadridge, but if they're investors, they might even interact with them on a much more common basis than they even realize. It's true, um, yeah. <laughs> so I was wondering if you could tell us a bit, what does Broadridge do? How does it help its clients enrich customer and shareholder engagement um, yeah. on their end? So there's, there's, there's really two parts of Broadridge. There's, um, it, Forbes called us the most important financial services company you've never heard of a few years ago. Right. And it's really true that we are an outsourced provider of services. So you don't typically see our name on the front of an envelope or on the front of a communication or in back office processing, but that's what we do. So about a third of our business is back office processing, where on a, any given day, about a third of all U.S. equities are clearing through our back-end platforms and about $6 trillion in nominal value of fixed income securities. Wow. So big business there is about a third of our revenue. The other two-thirds of our revenue are in our communications business. 
our communications business largely started um, with our, our, an idea our chairman had around helping organizations and public companies and mutual funds communicate more effectively with investors, right? So regulatory communications like proxies and annual reports and semi-annual reports from prospectus documents from mutual fund companies right. eventually grew to handle all different types of communications, starting in the brokerage industry with statements and confirms and letters and notice, and then expanding to really include bills and letters and notices that you get from a whole wide range of companies. So not just broker dealers, but banks and credit card companies, telco companies, uh, utility companies, to the point now where we distribute about 6 billion communications a year wow. on behalf of our clients. And we touch about 85% of all North American households. So if you think about the mail that you get on a monthly basis, whether it's physically or digitally, there's a very large chance that a significant portion of that actually started on our backend systems and we distributed it on behalf of our clients. And while we're the largest first-class mailer in the United States, that's not really what we are. What we are is a data company. Right. Right. Huge amounts of information coming from our, the brands that work with us to determine what types of communications need to go out, when they need to go out, what channels they need to go out, and how do you create an engaging experience that um, reinforces the value prop that our clients are trying to bring to those relationships. Right. Yeah. So as Chief Digital Officer, uh, what are your responsibilities there? I'm sure since you joined nine years ago, the digital transformation of Broadridge has moved quite quickly and the company looks very different than it did back then. It definitely does. First of all, in size, I think we're three or four times the size when I actually first joined. Right. And when I first came in, it was really around how do we take uh, a business that has become a very successful business and think about the adaptation of that business to a digital experience and to a, a digital world. Um, and so that really kind of cemented itself around on a communication side, how do we take all this print that we're distributing and replace it with digital communications? Yep. And you know, as we've gone through this process, you know, some of the things that we've recognized is that it's not always the easiest thing to do, right? Consumers are consumers of habit. Um, they uh, don't often change behavior. And we've had to solve lots of customer experience problems as we've gone through this. I think where my role has evolved to is where I first was focusing on specific communication issues within different businesses as I've kind of transitioned to this chief digital officer role. It's really more looking across the organization and how do we take digital, and when I refer to digital, it's not just a communications term, it's how do you take technology, information, and innovative activities, bring those together to solve for problems, reduce costs, make things more efficient, drive more value to all the participants um, in the ecosystem. And so, you know, as you think about the ever-evolving world of technology, um, the channels that were available when I started look much different than they do today, right? There was no video and audio channels like there are today. Um, you know, SMS existed, but mm. the evolution of SMS with things like uh, Apple business messaging and RCS from Google, it really, we're, we're in a very evolving world of the way that you need to communicate. And I think the, the biggest paradigm shift that I've seen has been, if you go back even five years ago, if you went and talked to an organization about their communication strategy, it was largely built on the concept that I'm gonna build a website or an app and you as my customer are gonna come and visit. And the challenge with that is that is diametrically opposed to consumer behavior. Yeah. Consumers don't wanna to be told what to do. Consumers want you to communicate with them where they're comfortable communicating. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about the word multi-channel, which got replaced by omni-channel, that's not just the kind of a sexy new name. It actually is a fundamental difference where in multi-channel, the assumption was a consumer is going to communicate this way or this way or this way. An omni-channel experience is that they're going to communicate all of these ways. 
So what might start as a paper communication may drive to an electronic email communication, which may end up being a text, which may end up being something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and that those communications don't just have to happen on the channels that I control, but I can actually push these communications to the channels that consumers are most more comfortable with and allow us to communicate there as well. So it, it's really been an interesting evolution. And so in my role, what, what I look to do is I look to say, you know, what should be our vision? How do we actually define our strategies and our different products? We have different product groups and different product managers in those groups. But how do we align those strategies to a vision that um, sets a, a goal for us as a company and then iterate, iterate, iterate? Because one of the things we know about communication, one of the things we know about technology is that what we think today, next Thursday is going to look a lot different. Right. And a year from now is going to be completely different because new technologies and capabilities and how are you as an organization responding to that really becomes a key question that has to be answered. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And with you know changing generations and different demographics also, I'm sure digital transformation is very important for Broadridge. Well, I was, I was laughing yesterday. I went to a session um, about Gen Z. Okay. Um, so my kids are Gen Z. I have a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And, um, you know, people talk about millennials being born with a device in their hand. That's not entirely true. There was, you know, when they first were born, there wasn't devices when they were infants. I played with Legos. I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> My kids did play with Legos, but they also, from the time that they were infants, we had devices. Right. Right. So they, they, they are inherent. This is a, a device that is not foreign at all. There's not, it's, it's part of who they are. Mm-hmm. They use it much differently. Yep. Um, and I, but I think a good communication strategy is built around that. There is an 18-year-old that acts exactly the same way as an 81-year-old, right? And there's an 81-year-old that acts exactly the same way that you think an 18-year-old does. And if you kind of go with that methodology, which is really a design thinking methodology Mm -hmm. where let's not come up with the answer because we think it's a good idea. Let's come up with the answer because we've done the research. We've evaluated what consumers want or what our customers want and work backwards from there. Okay. The chance of success, specifically in the communication space, is multiples higher right right if if we sat in the room and we threw a bunch of things on the wall the chances of us being right they're limited but if we actually spoke to customers and understood their behavior not what they want or what they don't want but their behavior we can say okay how do we tie into that behavior the solution to products that we create could be much more powerful yeah yeah makes sense yeah so i mean broadridge is the market leader in the space in mm-hmm. corporate investor relations space uh what role does digital innovation play in Broadridge's ability to maintain that market share? Yep. Um, where is Broadridge investing, spending its time um, in the digital innovation space to continue to beat out their competitors? I, I think there's two areas. I think, you know, one, when you talk about digital, digital and experience kind of go hand in hand. And so we're spending a lot more time thinking about the experience, right? If you think about investor communications, and let's just call them brokerage communications in general, yep. there's a lot of communications that you get as an account holder. Right, a typical account holder gets somewhere between 30 and 40 communications a year. Okay. Some are related to their account, like statements and confirms. Um, some are regulatory, like prospectus documents and annual reports and proxy communications. Mm-hmm. Um, and some are from their financial advisor. And what's interesting, if you look across that, they're not necessarily all telling the same story. And in fact, you could make the argument that they're all telling different stories. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, how do you coalesce those into a conversation that's much more um, responsive to the needs of the investor, I think is a real challenge and it's a real opportunity from a digital perspective of creating kind of a new way of communicating and recognizing that these are not just checkboxes on a regulatory scorecard. They're actually touch points. Right. And, in, and, and as such, you should take advantage of them. I think that, so that's kind of one side is the customer experience. The other side is the technology, right? So some of the things that we can take advantage now, right? The cloud is an absolute game changer. Yep. But it's the cloud plus open platforms, 
right? Because the cloud is, right, cloud can save money on processing time and make things more efficient. But when you take monolithic applications and you break them down into smaller services, what that allows us to do is be much more responsive to the needs of our customer. So if a customer who is used to having things work one way wants to have something work another way, go back 10, 15 years ago, that often required a lot of custom development. Mm -hmm. Now that we have open platforms and microservices, we can orchestrate them or put them together, go back to the Legos, put the Legos on top of each other, solve that problem, and we can do it very quickly. Right. That's, I think, the key to digital transformation for most organizations today is how do you open things up so that you can be much responsive to the needs of your customers and the market in general. Right. Yeah. So what challenges does Broadridge face in convincing key stakeholders and customers to implement uh, its tailored investor communication solutions? Is there still pushback from a lot of customers who want to stick to the old way and use paper rather than convert to a digital? So by customers, you mean the, the end recipient? Like uh, shareholder. Both end, re end recipient and uh, your clients. So let's look at both pieces. Yeah. I think that um, the, from the end consumer, one of the problems with uh, why people want paper mm -hmm. is because though we've spent huge amounts of money, not just Broadridge as an industry, creating really great digital tools, if you think about the physical experience versus the digital experience versus the traditional digital experience is what I'll call it. So the physical experience, I live someplace, I go to my mailbox once a day, I open it up, 75% of what I got is garbage. I throw it out. Yep. Keep the other 25%. There's a portion of it that bills, some of its statements, and some of its other information. That probably takes me about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. I can open it up and I can review and I go online to pay my bills. Bill payment is a huge component of customer behavior in this area. Let's look at the digital experience. Right? Up until recently, cutting edge digital experiences, I'm going to send you a cryptic email yeah. that tells you your document is ready. You're going to have to log on to a website. You then have to go find the document. Once you find a document, if it's a bill, you have to go someplace else to pay. We're shocked that more people haven't adopted digital communications. I'm shocked that anyone has adopted digital communications because the experience has been so poor. Yeah. So if we flip the model and we look at how do we solve for this, right? How do you solve for that challenge? It's an understanding that in the financial services sector, with the exception of retail banking, where there's a natural extension to the app and the website, because that's how you pay, mm -hmm. that's how you do things, most customers are not gonna visit your website or the app. You can create really great tools and some will use them, but arguably a vast majority will not. So how do I communicate with them at the channel that they prefer? And increasingly that channel is a mobile device. Yep. And what kind of experiences can we deliver there? Right? That becomes a big question for folks to answer. So it's also a hard question. Right? If you think about it, if you're responsible for the internal applications and websites that your organization creates, to be told that maybe you should think about going elsewhere, that's scary. Yeah. A better way to think about it is take that experience that you've created and syndicating it out to where you can most effectively communicate with your customers. And if you wear that hat and you think about it that way, your likelihood of success is going to be much greater. And one of the ones I often use recently as kind of a real good example of this is, is the Apple Card. Right? So not a brokerage communication, but the Apple Card um, native to the Apple Wallet. Right? You apply within about five seconds. Mm -hmm. And it's a different kind of experience. Right? Do they send statements? No. The statement's available. You'll never look for it. You'll never read it because they've simplified the content. They provide the content in a really slick UX, which provides the key pieces of information you want. You can dig in a little bit further. It provides financial literacy because it's easy to understand and to use. Um, it's just, it's easy, right? So if that is the direction that others need to head, and I think it is, um, the simplification of content making it easy for people to interact, and for that small group of your customers that wants that extra level of detail, don't take it away, but allow them to dig deeper. 
almost this layering process where you start with something simple and you go into something more complicated. And so I'll give you an example of how we're doing that in the physical side. Yeah. We send out all these communications. We send out brokerage statements that are 20 pages long. Right. Who's reading? Right? The, the reality is they're difficult documents to read and they don't tell you much. They tell you, I have a 3% return against the S&P 500. Is that good or bad? I have no idea. Right. What if instead that physical communication was one page and it said, hey, here's how you're doing against your goals. Do you want to see the underlying details? Well, we've put a QR code in the bottom. We're not going to call it a QR code though. We're just going to say, take out your phone because every Google device and every iPhone now has a built-in QR code reader. Point your phone here and see all of this content immediately. Right. Right. That's a better experience, right? Make it easier for people to get what they want. And you can do it both physically and digitally. Make the two work together because what we find is one of the biggest barriers to digital adoption is a concern among consumers that the digital experience is not going to live up to their expectations and the physical experience is going to be better. Mm. By giving them insight into that digital experience, you drive adoption, yeah. which is good for everybody. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So you have a duty, obviously, to the end users and shareholders of your clients to your clients themselves. What are the regulatory hurdles that Broadridge faces in providing investor communication solutions um, and securities processing solutions? You know, I think that one of the challenges that organizations have, it's it's not like the majority of regulations say do A, B, C, D, and E. Mm -hmm. Instead, they provide guidelines about what you should do. So the perspective of legal and compliance when reviewing those guidelines can vary greatly from organization to organization. Okay. Right. So I think that's one of the challenges of good customer experience, because if you talk to the regulators and you give them ideas about what you want to do, they say, oh, of course you could do that. But can I do it? Right. Can I not do that? And so I think that more guidance is probably required there. I think that said, there's a huge amount of opportunity within the given regulatory structure. Right. The regulatory structure allows for communications to be delivered through email, through SMS, through push notifications, through interactive microsites to new channels and services. And you should be doing that. Right? I, I think the, the challenge for organizations that they need to think to from, a, from both a regulatory and from a, a mindset perspective is to get over this concept where I'm going to control everything and I'm going to respond and allow my customers to control this experience. Where it becomes really, really interesting is if you think about GDPR and now more recently the California Consumer Privacy Act. Okay. So the California GDPR went into effect a few years ago in Europe. Yeah. And, you know, we all go to different websites and it says, do you accept cookies? And it's okay to use the data this way. Mm -hmm. It's good. The California Consumer Privacy Act actually takes things one step further because what it says to organizations is if a customer does not give you the right to use their data for these purposes, you still have to provide them with the service at the exact same price point. Wow. Right now in the investment industry, that's not a big game changer. If you're a social media company, that could actually be very concerning from an yeah. advertising and marketing revenue perspective. But I think what it does is it cements the idea that the data we're working with, so speaking from Broadridge, it's not our data. Mm. It's not our client's data. It's their client's data. Right. And when you put yourself and you have that perspective and you wear that hat and you say, you know what? The customer owns the data. It's quite liberating because I think what's happened before is we use the data and we make assumptions of what we can and we can't do. When you cement the fact that it is the customer's data and you ask them if it's okay to use the data and you provide transparency into what you're going to do with the information, a, a funny thing happens. First of all, they may say yes. And when they do, it opens up so many opportunities because instead of trying to work around regulatory hurdles or obligations, you're saying to the customer, can I do this? Can I market you these new products and services? Can I use your data to do this, which will result in better outcomes for you? Do you want to actually opt in to let me do this? And a funny thing, if they say yes, you can do it. 
Yeah. Right. So being transparent yeah. is not a bad thing. Actually, I think what this is going to do is actually, well, it might be some pain point up front. The longer term opportunity here is great because it's actually going to provide for a better customer experience and also improve the trust that exists between the brand and the customer. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. That makes yeah. sense. So uh, last question for you. Um, what innovations and trends in financial technology are you and Broadridge most excited about? Um, and what is Open Broadridge? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, you know, if you think about a lot of technologies and think about it, money 2020, if you walked around upstairs, you'd hear things around, um, around blockchain. Mm. We do a lot of work in blockchain and we invest a lot in blockchain. Uh, identity is front and center. You walk around the exhibit hall, there's probably 25 different companies talking about identity-related services and yeah. how to ensure consumer identity and validate and do different things with KYC it. KYC and AML. KYC, yeah. all, that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, regulations, GDPR, California Consumer Privacy Act. Mm. So here's the one that I think is the most interesting. Two years ago, uh, a regulation went into effect in Europe called Open Banking, mm. PSD2, yep. right? Payment Directive number two. And it essentially required all of the banks to open up their underlying services and data so that third parties can build products on top of it, yeah. right? Initial reaction was like, are you guys crazy? We don't want to do this. I think then most companies started to recognize, most of the firms started to recognize, wait a second. We are going to still manage the underlying assets that our clients hold. We're responsible for those. By exposing these services, we're opening up new monetization opportunities and we're providing better customer experiences for our clients. And if we can deliver that customer experience, great. And if someone else can deliver it, okay, but they're still our customer. So a funny thing happened. This started in Europe, right? Now we come to the US. So every retail bank of size has followed suit, mm. right? So go to your favorite bank name, developer.banknname.com. You will see all of their open APIs that they've actually created, right? right? Take it a step further. Look in capital markets, right? I would actually make the argument that the capital markets are actually even further ahead than the retail banks. Mm -hmm. So access to data, transactional capabilities, and underlying services. So we're in this age of the API, right? Everyone's creating all of these APIs. So when I look at Broadridge and, and how we can help in this area is leveraging all of the relationships that we have. First thing that we need to do is we need to take the services that we provide to the market and we need to simplify them by actually breaking them down from monolithic applications into API-driven services so that our clients, partners, third parties can build on top of them okay. and deliver better customer experiences. But the other thing that we can do is we can actually start to create a place where our clients and our partners can offer their APIs and services as well and then tackle on what I call enabling services to make this ecosystem work. So what's an enabling service? Well, normalization is going to be a requirement. If there's a thousand different banks that are providing a payment service, or go to our bread and butter, the investment space, if there's a thousand different broker dealers that allow you to call an API to make an investment or execute a transaction, if they're not all written exactly the same, it's gonna be a big old mess. Yeah. So how do we start to normalize that and think about bringing them together so that if I'm a third party app developer or a consumer that wants to access these directly, based upon information about me, a network knows which services to use, mm. right? So there's a lot of interesting things happening. And I think that because of this opening of platforms, and I actually saw it recently, Capgemini recently referred to it as OpenX versus open banking. Okay. Um, complete change and disruption in traditional financial services is kind of afoot, yeah. right? Will the layers that we've gotten so used to and the way things work, buy side, sell side, advisory firms, broker dealers, continue to be there four or five years from now? I don't think they're going to look exactly the same. I think that there's going to be much more competition in each layer and each of the providers of those layers are going to have opportunities to work with other providers and new fintechs and startups. And so there's a whole new ecosystem that's going to be enabled. Wow. Yeah. Exciting Pretty exciting stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, when you walk around the expo hall upstairs, you can see there's a lot of energy up there. There is, yeah. and yesterday I was in the, um, I don't remember what room it was, but there was one of the, the banking track. And they were, all afternoon yesterday was all about open banking and open services. And it's really exciting. As someone who started as a technologist, the idea that you could basically pick and pack and say, okay, I'm gonna take these different Legos and I'm gonna create something on top of it. Like the flexibility that gives to a product manager or a strategist, or, where it doesn't require development, it just requires putting the pieces together. Because mm-hmm. if we think about most applications that are being developed, 75, 80, 85% of the stuff that needs to be developed has already been developed. Right. If I can just focus on that five or 10 or 15% to create a really, really strong user experience, the time to market becomes awesome and the only, the people who benefit from it are the consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is exciting. No, it is. Yeah. Well, Rob, congratulations on all of Broadridge's success and your success there with the digital innovation. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the Warden FinTech podcast today. Excellent. And uh, enjoy the rest of Money 2020. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the conference. I appreciate the time today.